Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. Uh, this is a very unique episode, one we were really excited to do, and personally, um, right up there is one of my favorites, just such a unique setting, and the potential to help serve the people that serve us. Uh, it was really fascinating to do this episode. On this one, we interviewed Cody Tesh, who is actually the athletic trainer for the Milwaukee Fire Department and one of Austin's preceptors during his time in Milwaukee. Uh, doing some hopefully in the near future work with the fire department that we have locally this was great insight and just really intriguing and like selling yourself and trying to figure out how to prove your worth um, we know what we can do but trying to get others to understand this this was a great episode for that highly recommend listening to the whole thing cody's got some great insight um, and is just really a great interview so we really do hope that you enjoy that we hope to expand these as that setting expands as always, uh, this episode is powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. We truly appreciate what these people do for us and the profession. Uh, get, check them out. They've got some of the best customer service we've ever run into. You get to know people within the company uh, that are willing to take any feedback you have. Uh, knowing their mad scientist, he will definitely listen to any ideas and try and figure out how to get them to come to fruition. So check out Mueller. With that, enjoy this episode. get rolling cool welcome to this episode of at chat we are here with cody tesh um the athletic trainer for the milwaukee fire department cody cody was actually my last preceptor before my current rotation um and had a lot of good times as a interesting setting but i think overall it's a really cool experience especially in kind of a new setting that public safety sector um, so without further ado, I'll turn it over to you. If you just want to kind of introduce yourself here. Yeah. Um, so my name is Cody Tesh, uh, athletic trainer for the Milwaukee fire department. Austin, we did have some good times and, uh, obviously you, you got to see some crazy stuff when you, uh, <laughs> when you ride around the city of Milwaukee for, for all day. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good time. I, uh, graduated from, uh, Concordia university and, uh, um, got to, uh, got a lot of good in, in the instruction there. Um, been with, been with Milwaukee fire since, uh, 2016 was actually my first job out of college and, uh, I'm grateful for it, completely lucky for it to be completely honest with you and, um, enjoying what I do. Uh, I like to say, like to take care of the people that take care of us for a living. And it's, uh, it's a, it's a good time. It's awesome. And I've seen you've also been busy lately, kind of making the circuit with some presentations, making it over to the Minnesota athletic trainers association as well. Yeah, so uh, uh, this past year, uh, Dr. Kyle Ebersall from UWM, who I'm sure we'll talk about here at, at some point today, um, him and I went to the Wisconsin Athletic Trainers Association. We, we uh, gave a nice little presentation on um, athletic training and the fire service, kind of the integrated approach between um, athletic training research, uh, sort of what are the key components, and then I got invited out to the Minnesota Athletic Trainers Association uh, Young Professionals Foundation to get out there and uh, chat with them and, and kind of explain what we do and 
um, some great questions out there, great people out there, um, had a blast with them and, uh, they, they do it right. They, uh, they rent out a brewery and they, uh, they literally sit in the, uh, they sit in the commons area and we, we presented, there was a lady from the circus. Um, uh, she worked for Tria and then a gentleman that worked for, uh, he was a first assistant surgery. And then a, uh, another, another guy that was, uh, an athletic trainer for a, um, for an industrial setting. And, and, uh, we had a lot of fun talking to everybody and trying on gear and, uh, uh, they did. They did a really nice job out there. I, I had a lot of fun and and hopefully got to give some good information. Sounds like a good place for a meeting. <laughs> that's not bad. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll dive into some of the questions we have for you. So with that public safety setting, police, fire, uh, military being kind of an emerging setting, um, especially for you being your first job. What are some of the big challenges that you face daily compared to what might be more traditional, I guess, compared to that college, high school, you know, the usual, air quotes, usual? Right. Yeah, our job's never usual, no matter where you're at. Um, <laughs> I mean, and there's some of the same challenges, I mean, no matter where you're at, you, you still get the, uh, you get the difficult injuries, you get the, uh, the people that you got to convince you know what you're doing. But I guess in this setting, a couple of things that are really different are, um, you have, you have more people to convince. You have a, a vast swath of people that have never dealt with an athletic trainer. I mean, I still go, the amount of times I go to a, a house or the amount of times I go to anywhere else in the city and they go, why is there an athletic trainer for the fire department? They're not athletes. And mm -hmm. you got to kind of break down. Well, we, you just got to redefine the terms, right? I mean, I, I like to say it, and I said this throughout our in-service this year, you know, firefighters are athletes. Firefighters have a, a different metric for athletics. Um, you know, the, uh, the ball is the kid they're trying to find in the house that's burning. The, uh, the defense is the fire that's trying to kill him. And then the scoreboard is whether or not that kid lived, right? I mean, you just got to redefine it. It might not be a touchdown, might not be a, you know, a three pointer, but it's definitely, it's definitely an athletic event. Um, and so the, a couple of challenges you face, I mean, you gotta, you gotta truly convince 250 years of, of tradition that's been unimpeded by progress you got to try and convince them that what you're doing is, is truly there for them. And, uh, um, you're trying to really make them better. You're trying to give them information about themselves that is going to make their life better. And whether that's for a 30 year career or for a 30 year retirement, um, you have to, you have to deal with a lot of city government. Um, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's unbelievably painful. Um, <laughs> City government, I like to say city government moves at half the speed of smell. Um, they just do. And it's, it's ridiculous. The, the amount of times where you could say, well, this is, this is the answer. This is how you fix it. And then three or four years later, we're talking about, okay, so what was that you said like three or four years ago that we could probably do now to try and fix it? So uh, that's, that's one thing that you wind up getting into. Um, and, and then the other thing is just, it's, it's new. It's, it's different. So uh, when you start talking to workmen's comp, for instance, I mean, lumping workman's comp into a setting that's never had somebody like us that's never had an athletic trainer um you lump that in there and all of a sudden they say well wait a second who who is this who is this trainer person that evaluated an ankle and told them what the injury was before they ever saw a doctor that's not okay and then you have to you have to walk down that road of here's the state practice act here's here's what we can do here's what my doctor allows me to do here's what's going on and, and truly show that what we have is something that we can offer everybody, no matter if you put on helmet and shoulder pads or if you put on 
helmet and an SCBA and carry a, a hose for a living. You know, that's, um, it's a, it's a different ball game. So, uh, those challenges, uh, there, there, there's no shortage of challenges because, uh, you know, you fight them every day. You fight the guys that have been, you know, on the job for 30 years and think for some reason you're there to, to, to get them off the job. You're there to, to, uh, you know, tell the administration that, oh, they've got a shoulder issue and that's going to get them fired. You, you got to fight that. And you also got to fight the administrative side of things where, um, they don't fully understand what we do. They don't fully understand what we're capable of doing and they don't fully understand, um, why what we do is so important to keep people not only on the job but give them a life outside of the job and that's and that's a big thing for our guys yeah oh you have something to add there? yeah just what have you found things that have been more effective because like advocacy for the profession is its own thing but um i think it's a really good crossover to take ideas from like we've had success with some things here trying to advocate for what we do and what we can provide and I'm sure there's some similarities, but multiple differences. But have you found anything that's been more successful? A, convincing the patient that you're not there to hold them out and ruin their lives. And B, just to continue to prove your worth, for lack of a better description. So, yeah, absolutely. And there's there's two things in there. And depending on who you're talking to, there's two different things that, that create that approval or create that uh, – um, that buy-in so to speak um and and this is the i i promise i'm this is going to be the punniest thing i say all day um word in the fire service literally spreads like wildfire and it and it, and it does you can have the grumpiest captain that's 28 years on is a week away from retirement and has a shoulder issue and if you create pain reduction and function back for them all of a sudden, they can be on the far southwest side of the city and the northeast side of the city knows about it before you can drive back there. And it's crazy how that happens. Um, they, they go on a call with a different med that's coming from the other side of the city that all of a sudden goes up here and they say, hey, I had the shoulder issue and and they came over and they like they like cranked around and they brought this magical machine, which I'm sure <laughs> we'll talk about at some point. But um, they brought this magical machine and they cranked around on my shoulder and all of a sudden I did some like these exercises things and I feel great. And you're like, okay, well, all right, tell your friends. And you don't even have to tell them to tell their friends because that all of a sudden has made the other side of the city before you can get there. Um, so that's, that's one way. Um, having a success story, being confident in what you're doing. Um, firefighters are a different breed. Firefighters don't like two things in life. And, and they're very two simple, very, very simple things. They don't like the way things are and they don't like change. And so you got to try and stick your nose in there and figure out where can you go between those two places that are going to um, get that firefighter's attention, get that paramedic's attention to say, here's what I can do for you. Yeah, you stepped on a charge hose line in the middle of a burning building that you couldn't see the hose line, your ankle hurts. It doesn't mean you're, you're less of a firefighter. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're doing anything else, but here's how we can make that ankle feel better. And here's how we can do some rehabilitation to keep you on the job without taking you away. And the second you make that happen for somebody that, that goes, that goes absolutely crazy. And then the other area is definitely on the administrative side. Um, I mean, we always talk about prove our worth and as athletic trainers, right? <clears throat> money's never on the, on the forefront of our mind. Like I, I never go into a situation going, Hmm, what can I charge somebody for? Because I don't charge, we don't bill right in, in the fire service. I don't bill anybody. Um, I never go in looking at how can I make or save money in this situation? 
But when you go back after the fact and you have to deal with uh, the chief staff, the fire and police commission, the city government, the aldermen, the mayor, the all that sort of situation, they say, well, so why are you worth it? Why, what, what have you done that makes me want to pay you again? Mm -hmm. And you can tell them um, by their own admission, by their own numbers, it costs $5,000 to send a firefighter to the ER. And that's because of the ambulance ride. Take that ambulance out of service. You have imaging more than likely you have an ortho or you have an ER doc that is going to see the main case. You might see an orthopedic doctor. You might have an orthopedic read that x-ray that you never see that you get charged for. You got hospital stay time. You got all this kind of stuff that, that nobody really realizes goes into that. Well, in our setting, we've, we've stopped at, at this point, right around 200 people from going to the ER for injuries that they would have in the past. And that is everything from, I have a, a stub toe that makes it difficult for me to walk up to I fell through a floor and I dislocated my shoulder. I mean, we have that vast swath of, of injuries there. And every time we stop somebody, that's, that's money savings. And so on the member side, it is getting success stories. It is making sure that they understand that I am here for you, showing that you know what they do, showing that you've gone through their training, showing that you're there for them. You're truly one of them. And on the administrative side, it's, this, this is what we're worth. This is what we're saving you. This is what we're able to do for you. And this is how much happier members are. And this is the amount of members that stay on the job because they don't have to worry about that when, when they can just come see an athletic trainer, you know, any time of the day or night. I like it. Yeah. So, so what you talked about a little bit earlier with that, especially the old guard and the, uh, you hear the, kind of take me out. I remember those were some things that we ran into together and it's truly a different situation than athletes who, I mean, yes, they want to get back, but they're a little bit more receptive. So navigating that was one of the hardest things that I think I experienced while working with you. And there were some cases where I can think of in my head where it wasn't successful for me. And it's just, kind of different and it was a good learning experience for me but definitely have a little bit more respect for that and knowing that it's necessary to create those success stories and and it's different like if you you get your you get your all-star quarterback all-star running back that comes in and says hey my shoulder hurts right the coach is telling him to go see you the players are telling him to go see you he knows where your office is he knows what's going on he knows when you're going to be there he knows what you're going to do he knows that you're the person that they see no matter what. And in our situation, sometimes cadets recruits the younger generation of that of the fire department. They say, yeah, like I'm, I'm going to see the AT because he's going to help me. And then you get that generation where maybe you got a captain that's a little old school. And so everybody underneath him learns the old school thing. And then they're like, well, no, you know what? You got hurt if you want that covered or if you want a shot at workman's comp, here's where you got to go. And you got to go see the ER and, and they might not understand that. And so, understanding you know the amount of times that you hear somebody in our settings say i'm not hurt i don't have i'm not hurt but this is really bothering me and i can't lift my hand above my head like in the athletics world a lot of times they're like hey i can't lift my hand above my head but in our world they're like i'm not hurt make sure you know i'm not hurt like you can't tell anybody because i'm not hurt but this is the problem and so trying to trying to navigate that is sometimes difficult sometimes they Sometimes they want advice without the, the assessment. Sometimes they want, um, they want change without the work. And sometimes you have to kind of do some things to sort of, you know, to, to use a 
fishing reference because I like to fish. You got to kind of set the hook on them a little bit to get them to where they need to be. And then they start to listen to you after that. And, and then you can make that change. Absolutely. Like, I know that we've talked about it, but the big red bag that you referenced earlier, lugging our <laughs> machine around at the uh, fire department. And like you said, I think it was one of my first days there. It's not going to be the end-all, cure-all, but giving them that hook with the stem where it's like, hey, yeah, that feels pretty good right after. And I know right. that I use that a lot more at the, there with you than I probably like to, but uh-huh. I also found it really effective in getting them to actually open up a little bit more to me and be a little bit more receptive to what we're doing for them. Yo, absolutely. I mean, if I were if I were to tell you that Eastim is the uh, is the way to cure any injury, I'd be lying to you. I mean, yes, there's some cool research on how ultrasound and Eastim, and if you combo and if you use laser and you can whatever. I mean, it's great. It's a feel good, right? It's 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 that way to get somebody to come in. I mean, the amount of times that we saw a a back injury or lateral epicondylitis is a huge one that comes to mind right now. Um, the amount of times that they say, Hey, can you bring that magical machine over here? <laughs> and you kind of chuck, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bring that. I'll bring the machine. And so you walk in with this big backpack and you set something up and you actually got to plug it into a wall. And then you're actually, you got the little head going on there on, and they're like, Oh my gosh, they're actually doing something for me. And the whole time they don't, they don't realize, and it's a good thing they don't realize. So hopefully no firefighters are, are paying attention here, but it's a good thing. They didn't realize that that whole thing. Sure. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. Can it, can it increase blood flow? Can it, inc- you know, increase heat in the muscle? Can it, do, can it do all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. But the big thing there is, is, is that your bait? That's your, that's your ability to set that hook. And once you, once you strap a machine to them that actually makes noise and, and they can feel and they can see their fingers move when you put, you know, pre-mod on them and you can do all this kind of stuff, they attribute their success or their change to that machine because that's what you actually hooked up to them. And in their mind, it had nothing to do with the manual therapy you did afterwards, the proper stretching you did afterwards, the amount of rehab that you did afterwards, the amount of time you spend 45 minutes with them talking about eccentrics and rotation when they have a, uh, you know, lateral epicondylitis issue because they do everything in one particular motion every, every day. They remember that big machine that made the beep when it was done and, and tightened up their forearm and they said, oh my gosh, this is really cool. Where else on my body could I put this to make some cool, fun changes? I mean, if you don't know the brain of a firefighter, they're... I call them forty-year-old man children because they are just just that. They've got the uh, maturity level of a ninth grader, but they do a job that's more important than most. And so, uh, you know, you bring that, you bring that machine, you bring that that cool shiny object. And you keep them focused on that shiny object, and then you can do the other stuff that you need to do. Make sure that they uh, make sure that they get uh, taken care of. And uh, and that's that's one thing that you ran. I told you right away. I was like, I, I like Eastim. I don't, I don't think that's the cure. I don't think that's the fix. I like it because it, it helps us get to where we need to be. And it helps us get to um, that point where they, they trust us, believe in us. And then they do the other things that we tell them to do. And then it works for them. Absolutely. You like to surprise them with a little portable version sometime just to really blow their mind. The amount of guys that bought a TENS unit after we came over and did like pre-mod therapy on them. And they're like, oh my gosh, Amazon has this exact same thing for $26. And you're like... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes, sure. And then they oh, I did that before I came here. Can we just do the, yeah, sure. We can do the stretches and the exercises, but 
you you did a tens unit, right? Yeah, I used the tens unit. All right, great. <laughs> I'm glad you listened. Yeah, absolutely. So to kind of go beyond and our, with our next question is here. So you talked a little bit about kind of the injury evaluation, the rehab, some of that stuff, but we know that you do a lot more than that. So if you could speak to some of the other things you do. So I know you have some peer fitness stuff and some peer support stuff that you do. So if you could kind of expand on that for us. Yeah. So um, Milwaukee fire has a really interesting, um, uh, our health and wellness program that we put together. Um, my immediate boss is a, are my health safety officer. She's a master prepared social worker. Named uh, uh, she really heads up our peer support team. Um, and then I head up our peer fitness team along with, uh, excuse me, the direction from Dr. Kyle Ebersol. And so one of the things that we do is we focus very heavily on the prevention aspect. So my, my top two um, injuries in the fire service for the last four years have been anterior shoulder pain due to biceps tendonitis. And it's terrible going into an injury going, mm, I know what this is and I know what I'm going to diagnose it with even before you touch them. But you can say, hey, does it click when you go overhead? Hey, do you have pain here? Hey, if I do this, does it make it feel better? Yes, this is probably what you have. Um, and, it, and it's consistent across the board. Um, so we, we take our peer fitness team and our peer fitness team are all firefighters that are trained by Dr. Eversall, myself, and a couple other individuals around our community, um, high level personal trainers, very high level PTs and that sort of thing. And we take those individuals and we put them out in the field and we, we have them run fit camps. We have them run what we call rip camps or rehab and injury prevention camps. Um, we have them do one-on-ones where we take we um firefighters again if it so the only the only reason that it's it i wear this every single day i can is because it says milwaukee fire on my chest and if it doesn't say milwaukee fire on my chest they don't want me to be around like they don't know who i am they don't want to so um firefighters relate to firefighters so if we can teach firefighters how to do specific prevention stuff we do that and that really gets us buy in there um so we do our peer fitness team um you know we do combines for our cadets and recruits where we we pick out their um, movement, um, you know, limitations. We pick out their strengths. We pick out um, what their heart rates are doing. We, we kind of show and make sure that we have created the, the right path for them to be successful. And then we take that to the field and we, and we run an annual in-service where we give them a, a movement screen, a, a jump max test, a hand grip test. We do uh, a, a treadmill and or submax uh, step test to give them a, an estimated VO2. Um, we do all these different things to try and prevent that injury because if they have to see me at two 30 in the morning because of an injury at a fire, then we, we may not, we, we maybe did everything we could, but we may not have. And so we take those people and do that. Um, our peer support team is, is awesome. It's pretty much second to none. We've got uh, two um, master trainers in the international association of firefighters or IAFF um, master trainers across the country that do um, peer support training, which is, a traumatic incident response. It is um, taking calls. I mean, in the, in the fire service, you see everything from from the absolute funny, and I'm sure Austin, you can remember some of the calls we talked about where you get somebody with their hand stuck down a toilet. Well, what are you what are you doing? You know, or you also get the the sad side of things where you see, you know, our firefighters routinely in the last three weeks here, we've had four hit and runs that involve young children, right? Two of which did not make it. Um, you see, you see shootings on a regular basis, stabbings on a regular basis. You get to, you get to encounter people when they're at the worst point in their life. And so, I mean, it, 
for somebody that's expecting his first child here, you know, if I see a, a real young kid that has that, you know, that worst time in their life, can't breathe, choking is in our city. We've had multiple, uh, multiple kids that have been, you know, shot sitting on mom or dad's lap in their house doing nothing wrong, but they were in the crossfire of something that happened. So all of our firefighters, I mean, healthcare is, is so holistic and it's not just, Hey, your knee hurts. And it's not just, Hey, your brain hurts, but sometimes you can have those issues that kind of combine. And so what we do here is we work really hard together to, I'm working on somebody with an ankle, but he keeps bringing up this event he saw, or he keeps bringing up how stressful his home life is, or he keeps bringing up how much his kids are, you know, struggling at school or how much he hasn't slept in the last couple of weeks and all this good stuff. And so we work together to try and create that holistic um, peer support team or mental health and wellness and peer fitness team prevention wellness. And then myself on the rehab side to really give that firefighter the whole, uh, the whole package that it, you know, it comes to. And then obviously we do a bunch of research with Dr. Ebersol and I know we'll probably get to that at, at some point here. And, and that's kind of where we, we take all that information that they give us. or they take all those problems that they give us. And then we try and create a solution for them because our problems aren't always, you know what, I got a knee injury. I got, I got a shoulder injury. I got a back injury. Sometimes it's, sometimes the, the, the roof caved in and fell on me and, and I can't change it. But sometimes it's, you know, we, we had a heart, there's three things that kill firefighters, right? There's heart attacks, cancer, and suicide. And so we work really hard to try and mitigate those. So we don't run into those problems while we're here. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any thing to add to that? Nope. That was, <laughs> that's uh, impressive what you've gotten started and even just for you being there for basically three years now, that's saying something. We, we enjoy it's It's fun. Sometimes it's taxing. I mean, I tell all my guys, I mean, this is, if you see me looking away, this is my work phone. It goes off, you know, 804 times a day. Um, but you know, if, if it goes off at two 30 in the morning, cause there's a structure fire and then the next call that comes in at two 45 is an injury. I mean, I, I can't tell my firefighters, you can only get injured between eight and four o'clock, right? That, that don't make any sense because they're there for 24 hours. It's not like I, I can expect an injury at practice. I can expect an injury in a game. You know, I can expect an injury during lifting, whatever. I mean, I got, I, I've got guys or gals that, you know, they go out at 3 a.m. to the worst day of anybody's life, you know? And so um, there's times that we, we go to fires. There's times that I, uh, I try and uh, get out to different injuries. I mean, Austin's even been to the one where it's like 6.30 in the afternoon. I was like, hey, I know you went home like four hours ago. Do you want to see a bicep tendon tear? Um, somebody called me and said their bicep hurts. They gave me a lot of symptoms that would tell me that this is it. I'm running down to see it. You want to come along? And uh, sometimes that's kind of the nature of the beast. So um, being able to give that holistic, you know, you this is your livelihood. No longer is it you're, you're, you're in an athletic event. You are a Division One, Two, or Three athlete where, you know, Football is life to you right now, but football is only a little part of your life. You know, baseball is a little part of my life when I played in college, but you know, now it's, that's how they make their money. That's how they support their family. That's how they, this is what they've been, you know, and we always use the word calling. I mean, this is what you've been called to do, whether you believe in a higher power, or whether you believe that this is just what you're passionate about, this is how you do it. And if we can't create that better pathway to staying there, that's, that's what we're trying to do. Absolutely. So you referenced it a couple times already, but uh, I kind of want to ask you about the research relationship that you at the fire department have established with UWM and Dr. Kyle Ebersol in particular. 
and kind of what that entails and some of the benefits that you've seen and where you're going with it in the future. So uh, Dr. Kyle Ebersol is, uh, is a scary individual because he is quite possibly the smartest person I've ever met in my life. It's, it's interesting to watch him sit in a meeting and you'll see him kind of look up and then you'll see him write down like six words on a page. And then he comes up with this monologue of this is what I understood and how we can go about it. And everybody's looking at him going, <laughs> why didn't, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, that that's exactly what's supposed to happen. So it, it's pretty impressive. Um, and he's been a big help for me. I mean, trying to get through these first three, four years, uh, you know, kind of making something that's never been there before, but, uh, uh, the research, and this is, I mean, this is all credit to, to Doc Ebersol. Um, his, one of his main focuses is heart rate recovery and variability. And um, if you look last year, um, there were 93 line of duty deaths um, in firefighters across the country. Um, 75% of those, right around 75% of those were cardiac related. And if you look at all those, all those deaths in that 75%, 84% of that, 75%. So the vast majority of all of those deaths um, have the word after in the title. And that, and in Doc Ebersol's mind, he's come up with, you know, I, I truly feel we're missing something in the research. And, and you look at a lot of the research around the country and um, obviously it's a new place to research. I mean, just like when they started doing research in the military, like what do you research? Like they go to fight and they go to war and they go to keep us safe. How do you research that? Right. It's a, it's a tough concept to get your head around. And so he kind of came up with everybody else is researching fires hot, your job's hard and your, and your job is dangerous. Well, you know, thank, thank you. That's, you know, kind of like telling water it's wet. I mean, yeah, we get it, but he's come up with the, the understanding that it's not necessarily that you have a 60 beat a minute resting heart rate. Cause I could have a 60 beat a minute resting heart rate. Mine could be unhealthy and yours could be healthy. Um, depending on how that heart rate works and what the R value or, you know, what the distance between the R waves are and all and the heart rate variability aspect of it. But uh, one thing that we do uh, is we focus on the whole shift. We focus on the next shift. We focused on um, how do you come out of the shift that you were just at, um, whether you took two fires or whether you took no runs and what does it look like when you go home? If you're not, if you're not at that 60 beats a minute, when you go home, you know, what, what does that, how does that change your day? How does that change your family time? How does it change your life outside of this work? Um, we focused on what are some of the um, changes we can make to how you go about your day to understand that, yeah, you know what, we just took a, we just took a fire and I'm on my second bottle of 18 minutes worth of, worth of air. And I've went through this building and one, we put the fire out Two, we were trying to tear the structure down to make sure there's no more fire. And now my heart rate won't come back below hundred, hundred beats a minute. How do we, how do we handle that? Um, we've watched a firefighter sleep in a chair at 105 beats a minute. I mean, put that into kind of snoring, sleeping in a, in a chair at 105 beats. A minute. That's terrifying. You know, you get somebody that's 40 years old and you use the 220 minus your age method to figure out what your maximum heart rate should be. 105 beats a minute is a little over 50% of that 180 beats, right? And so um, we went beyond just what is your heart rate? And we went to how can we measure what you do as a grand scale um, what your autonomic nervous system has to do, what your, what your heart rate pumps out, how do we train you for that? And how do we recover you from that? And um, I think it's been really well received. Um, right now we're doing a study that is sponsored by DuPont, which is one of the largest textile companies in the world, um, Millican and Lion Apparel. 
and they've they've understood that Dr. Ebersol's data is just is just so much more advanced than most other people anywhere that how can we create a uniform? How can we create a turnout gear? How can we create a, re, a rehab protocol? How can we create a set of structures that are going to help our firefighters recover their bodies so that they live in a weird space? And Dr. Ebersol is notorious for saying prepare, perform, recover, right? So most athletes, and obviously you guys are covering football right now, they get to prepare for that athletic event. They get to go do that athletic event, and then they get to come to you for recovery. Right? They go to sleep. They go do whatever. Um, our guys, they go back to the station after their athletic event, you know, wash hose, hang hose, put their second set of gear out, sharpen tools, make sure their rig is stock, make sure nothing's broken, make sure their ladders are still in good shape, make sure they have all the EMS equipment, make sure they have all that kind of stuff that they need. So they don't truly get to recover. They get to do a workout to make sure that they're ready for their next call that they're going to take in the next 30 minutes because we live in the city of Milwaukee. That's what we do. Um, so that research is, is just been, um, has been unbelievable in how we, how we treat our patients, how we train our cadets and recruits. Um, knowing that we can put you through a circuit, I, I dare anybody to go in. And when we first started this, we saw 40-year-old males working at 190 to 205 beats a minute for 18 minutes straight. I dare anybody to go get on a treadmill and try and get your heart rate to 205 for, for 18 minutes. It's just not going to happen. But how do we now train our people that are getting into that situation? So, um, so many, so many avenues have been opened up. Um, actually the research that Dr. Ebersol has, has worked with us, got us the Wisconsin state fire chiefs association, um, health and safety award for last year. And, uh, truly, uh, truly is starting to change how people look at firefighters and how they look at how do we prevent or how do we help mitigate some of these cardiac issues that we have? Um, how do we train people? How do we, um, how do we help give them the best chance at having a successful career? Absolutely. And just to kind of throw a little part in there about Doc Ebersol is he is also a certified and licensed athletic trainer is on top of the PhD. So he still stays involved with that aspect. <laughs> also, and I'm going to throw a shameless plug in there that he is, he's a, a licensed athletic trainer. That's a doctor that's teaching the PT, the, the PTs of the future. So, you know, just those people that come out, remember that you had an athletic trainer teaching you PT. So. There you go. Yeah. Any questions, Ed? I don't think so. I, it's fascinating to hear because as we're, looking at some different things to do with the fire department here locally um, with our collaboration with our local health system. It's enlightening to hear what can be done and where it's at and what can be done. And totally agree with you. And I'm sure you had this thing at some point, but we've hung out with these firefighters for a little while here. Now we went through their kind of testing thing and it kind of, it made me want to be like, well, I should, I should just go be a firefighter now because like I want to do something to give back. But I, I really like your approach of you know utilizing your skill set and your knowledge to help people that help us. Uh, I think that's mm -hmm. awesome and probably makes getting to work a lot easier at those times, seeing that bigger picture. Oh, and I mean, they they say uh, you know this cliche. They say if if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. But I mean. We do, we do work. We, we do. Absolutely. I mean, it's sometimes it's taxing. Um, for instance, we had an off duty firefighter the other day, get, get shot in the city of Milwaukee because somebody stole his car. Um, that that's something that I'll probably be working with here soon that I'm, I'm hoping to give my, you know, my limited expertise on how to rehab gunshot wounds to, 
you know, somebody that's got to get back to doing what they do. And that person's going to go back to protecting that same person potentially that stole their car because nobody's, nobody's caught this person yet. Nobody but that person's house could be on fire and we don't care whose house it is. They go in and do it and they, and they try and they try and save. If you, if you, um, if you looked at some of the recent news uh, out near Boston, um, I believe it's Wor 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 Worcester city. Um, a, a captain just lost his life in a structure fire. Um, save the rest of his crew, get his probationer and his, uh, his secondary firefighter back. And they were in the process of trying to save a baby out of a third store or a third story room. And the fire overtook his, his way out. He had no other way out and the, and the room went up and he didn't make it. I mean, these guys, they don't, they don't care. These guys and women all, all across the board, they don't, they don't care what that, what that outcome is. And I think that's something that we understand as, as athletic trainers is, you know, we're here, we're not here to, to, you know, make the million dollars. We're not here to, to, you know, go and live in a, in a high rise somewhere because we can afford it. We're here to, to help the people that are doing what they love for a living. And, uh, you know, it's people like that where he's going to come back and he's going to go to his firehouse and he's going to go take another fire. He's going to go take another paramedic run. He's going to go take whatever he needs to take. And when that opportunity comes, I can help that or I can help make sure that he has the ability to do that. I, and I'm, I'm going to, and I think that's one thing that athletic training can bring to the fire service versus anybody else is that, I mean, how experienced are we at somebody went down on the football field? We're going to go evaluate what the injury is, right? That's something different than anybody else does. So now I can go and I can do the same thing. I just do it instead of on a football field. I just do it out front of somebody's house. that's on fire, right? It's, it, it's kind of cool. Um, or do it at the station that they've designated to me. So, we as athletic trainers can really make a huge difference in the population. And I think, I think they're really receptive to it. Once you, once you make that connection and once you've, uh, you know, shown them what you can do for them. Absolutely. Um, we touched on it a little bit. I mean, you've talked a lot about what the Milwaukee fire department does in the term of healthcare and especially with the, the athletic training side, Milwaukee is one of the few cities in the country that employs a full-time athletic trainer. So I guess what sets UW or Milwaukee Fire Department apart from some of the other cities? I know that places like San San Antonio has one, LA is trying to get one, but in your opinion, what sets Milwaukee apart from the rest of those? So we we do things just slightly different than than the other people. Um, San Antonio, uh, their their athletic trainer is Dina Kilpatrick, and she's she's awesome. She's actually helped me quite a bit when I when I first started. I was like, I, I just, I just got hired on and I don't have an athletic training room and they really don't have any protocols for me. And I really don't know what to do. So can you help me? Uh, Dina, Dina was awesome and helped me getting that going. Um, Mara is a, is a girl, they call her Mo. Um, she's at Terre Haute fire, um, now in Indi in Indiana and she, uh, um, they, they work under a hospital system, right? Um, you got Southern Metro Colorado and Denver, Colorado. They, they have somebody, I mean, I've been called by, Charlotte and Miami Dade, Florida and Oklahoma. And I mean, all these different departments across the country, uh, Phoenix has one where they, they're actually kind of led by a couple of PTs and, and athletic trainers. But the, I think the major difference that we have is we don't, we're not vastly reactionary and we, we are reactionary a little bit and, and almost to a fault where there's a change that needs to happen and we need to find a solution for it, which is good, but it also doesn't, create that lead from the front and dr Ebersole talks about this he doesn't like lead from the front he likes to lead from the or lead from the back he likes to lead from the front 
Um, one thing that we do just a little bit differently is everybody else does some research. Everybody else picks up some of the the trends, obviously injury trends and all that, that we, we work with. But one of the things that I think we do differently is um, I don't know if every other fire department has somebody that's going to come out to you at two 30 in the morning. If you get hurt at a fire, right? They, they know that if they call or text my phone at two 30 in the morning, I will be there. I will figure it out. And we'll, we'll find a way to do it. Whether that means my wife has to elbow me in the ribs until I hear it, or my dog goes crazy and, you know, jumps on me saying, Hey, something's making noise. Like that's, that's one thing that, um, I pride myself on and, um, sure might be a, you know, a little exhausting at times, but, um, they understand that they work 24 hours a day. I know I'm not technically working 24 hours a day, but I have to be ready for that for 24 hours a day. Um, making sure that the one thing that we do differently is making sure that we have that proactive approach where um, everywhere else, we, the, the people that are, you know, Dr. Ebersol, myself, you know, whoever else would say, Hey, this is a problem. Can we, can we figure this out? Can we do some research on it? And that's something that doc, prides himself, especially on not doing, because if you bring that problem to the fire service and we say, Hey, you've got this going on, they're going, Whoa, we don't have anything going on. Get away from me. versus, Hey, we've got a lot of shoulder injuries. Like what can we do to stop it? And, and that firefighter brings that to us. Um, then we can put forth that program to help them out. We have a lot of back injuries or right, let's, let's help that program out. Um, I want to see what the PFT program can do for me. How can, how can the PFT program change my life without making drastic changes where I have to change everything about my life. And so they bring that problem to us and then we find ways to solve it. I mean, one of the big things is everybody's asking, why don't we have a sauna in the firehouse? And then we bring them the information that says saunas aren't necessarily the best way to get rid of carcinogens. You never know if you're actually sweating that carcinogen out or if you are just blasting the fat cell and sending it to your liver and kidneys faster to kill yourself faster with cancer. Like we don't, we don't have those answers. So we don't take that step and saying, here, here's a sauna. I hope it works. We, we actually do that due diligence to make sure that every single thing we give our firefighters is in their best interest to the best of our knowledge. And obviously we're human, so we're not always perfect, but what can we give you to give you the best shot at life and, and do it well? Completely agree with you there. Any questions you want to add? No. All right. If it works for you, we'll start with our AT chat questions that we ask everyone here. Sure kind of invert the order a little bit. Where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? Kind of setting the example there. Uh, so I'm hoping this is, I'm hoping fingers crossed, toes crossed, eyes crossed, probably. Um, I'm hoping that in five to 10 years, um, we, we get to the point where our public service people, um, athletic, athletic trainers are in that public service and not just in fire, fire, police, um, in our, in our world, DPW, I mean, they have an athletic job too, just because it's not one that's glorified, right? Because they don't have the fire at the end of the day. DPW still goes around and picks up everything that gets put on the side of the road. They still have to put up light poles. They still have to make sure that our roads look decent. They still have to fill potholes. They still have to pick up garbage. They still do all those things that are athletic in nature and they don't, and they don't have that person to, uh, to help take care of them. The police department's different because as a firefighter, they go through, you know, 20 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes of a hard call. And then they come back and hopefully they have 30 minutes where we can make an intervention. You know, you, our police officers, they, they're in a cruiser for eight to 10 and 10 hours a week, depending on what your job is. Um, so it might look different, 
but um, I'm hoping that in the next five to 10 years, we have a structure that um, allows athletic training to not only be in um, a majority of uh, public service entities, fire, police, Department of Public Works, military, SWAT teams, tactical intervention teams, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm hoping that in the next five to 10 years, we see, um, we see better training levels for those, for those individuals. Um, I mean, if you look at the, the volunteer numbers in our, in our state, like we've got a handful, we got 10, 12, 15 fire departments that are, are professional fire departments or full-time fire departments that get paid all the time. And then the vast majority of everybody else in Wisconsin are all volunteers. What can we give to them as well? Because their job, I mean, we, we pride ourselves on every house fire we get to within about a minute and 30 seconds. That's crazy. That's why we can go into so many houses. Volunteers, you got five minutes to go from wherever you're at in life to get to the station and then to drive to however far it is that the fire is away. And now you've got, you've got new challenges. So um, taking not only what we do from our professional world into the volunteer world, um, I think that would be impressive. And then, and then finally making this, uh, and, and this is something that her name's Lorraine Oliver. She, uh, she's a part of um, PSATS or, um, you know, public service athletic training. Uh, she said she crossed out at NADA. She crossed out the the ribbon that said emergent emerging setting that all of us wore around like, Hey, we're, we're emerging. This is awesome. We're here. And she crossed that out and, and she put emergent or emerged setting. And, uh, she said, because, because we're here, we're established. And, um, the goal would be to make this less of a, you know, how do you do it and why is it done? And they're not really athletes to, it's more commonplace. It's, it's like the high schools in Wisconsin. If you don't have an athletic trainer on the sideline, you're kind of the, you're, you're the odd man out and then you got to try and find EMS coverage for your football game. Right. Um, trying to make that very much commonplace. So I think that's doable in 10 years, um, five years. I think it's more get workman's comp to understand that we are also providers. We are also medically trained. We are also an allied healthcare profession. Um, so that when any of the three of us go and try and evaluate a knee of a firefighter they don't say well wait a second you have some random person evaluating knee. that's not okay they understand that we know what we're doing and and can uh and can um not direct care because we can't in wisconsin but help um give them the most informed care that they can possibly have so that they can make the best decisions for their own life so next five to ten years get a get an athletic trainer into all these departments fire police dpw help change that workman's comp landscape where we get to be a part of it and then uh just keep helping, helping those that, uh, helping those that help others. Awesome. So what advice would you give to yourself as a young athletic trainer? You go back, you just graduated again. So are you calling me? Is that what you're telling me right now? Oh, I was going to say, you said 2016. I mean, you can only go so far back, so not really. I graduated high school in 06, so I'm a little different than most, but Well, I guess maybe even then, in that case, as a student, especially in a new MFAT program, what advice would you give yourself? Um, so the advice that I, I got from different people, there's a couple things that I try and tell my the students that I get to have. I've had a few of them. Um, and, there, and some things that other people have told me is, is the number one thing is learn, learn something from everybody you come in contact with as far as preceptor-wise. Um, I might... I'm, I'm not the, I'm not the be all end all when it comes to rehab by all means. I mean, Darren Smith is one of my, one of my preceptors and one of my instructors at Concordia who, um, his, his mind in rehab is what's helped shape mine in rehab and, and it was a complete mentor to me. Um, 
but learn something from everybody that you come in contact with and make sure that that person is now, um, now a contact for you. Right. So, um, you've, you've taught me things. Um, I'm, I'm hoping I've taught you some things, but making sure that if you have somebody that you don't agree with, maybe on how they treat every injury, understand why that is and understand what you can take away from that to make you either a better um, athletic trainer or to shape the way in which you, you practice in, in your setting. Um, so that's number one. Number two, um, do it for the right reasons. I mean, I think that's part of the, the burnout. Um, if you're, if you're simply there to be in charge, if you're simply there to, to, to make the, the million dollars, um, you, you, I think you're probably doing it for the wrong reason and make sure that, um, it's not just because you like sports because we all like sports, but I got a, I got a TV that I can watch football on whenever I want, you know, like make sure that it's truly because you care about that person that's there, um, have sort of an altruistic view on life and, and making sure that you're not just, you're not, you're not doing the rehab to get the credit for the rehab. You're doing the rehab because the rehab is the right thing to do for that person. Um, so making sure that you, you understand that going into it, because I mean, let's face it, we're all athletic trainers. We're not, we're, we're not Bill Gates, right? I'm, I'm not living in Bill Gates' neighborhood, but I, I enjoy my job and I love what I do. And, and, you know, I don't know if I can change it at this point. And then, uh, the final thing is be, is, is be patient. And I'm kind of running into that right now. Um, when you work with city government, you don't, um, like I said, right away, government moves at half the speed of smell. I mean, nothing happens quickly. And so understanding that you might have the most amazing plan or the most, um, you know, the, the best product out there, but it might take seven years to get there. Um, so have that end goal in mind and, and know how you want to do it. You know, critically think about, about what you're doing, not only in the rehab, not only in the, in the treatment, not only in the evaluation, but critically think about how you want to move along your, your career and understanding of what you're doing, because eventually you're not 25 and single and, and enjoying your job and then going out afterwards. Eventually you're 31 with a wife that's due in February and have a dog and a house. And not only do you love your job and you have a, a direction for that job, but you, you have to be able to make that work within your life. So, um, make sure you understand that. And so, you know, don't, don't overdo yourself, but push yourself to the limit and make sure that you, um, are, are comfortable being uncomfortable and, and work towards your goals. It makes you feel any better. The state system moves just as slow. If not, <laughs> in terms of education, but that's, that's about right. All right. So, what has been the most influential resource you've found so far in your career, whether that be a book, course, person, if is there anything that really stands out to you so far? Um, yeah. So for me, um, and this, this will make me sound terrible, but I'm a pretty transparent guy. So I don't care. I'm not a big, I'm not a big go out and, and, and read the, the book kind of guy because most of the time, most of the books you read are going to have, a lot of truth to it, but it's also not always going to be practical for you. It's kind of like, it's kind of like politics, right? I'm not going to talk politics, but you listen to one source and they give you a whole bunch of facts. And then you listen to the other source and they give you a whole bunch of facts where those facts overlay. That's where the truth is. And then everything else is opinion. And so if you read, if you read every book in the world, you're going to get a good nugget of truth. You're going to get a good basis for what you have, but then you have to go do the work anyway. Right. Um, so most of the most of the major influential things in, in my very short career and especially through my, um, my schooling is the people that I got to learn from the people that I surrounded myself with. Um, my big influencers are again, Concordia, the entire staff of Concordia, Angie, Jenny, Kate, um, Pat, 
especially Darren Smith, um, you know, Kemery, all these people that I learned from while I was there um, because it, I, they could have written everything that they taught me in class. They could have written that in a book and I would have never understood it. But listening to him, getting to interact with them is, is huge. Um, the guy that actually got me into athletic training, um, he took care of, I had a pretty severe C-spine injury, which is why I'm here um, in athletic training. I had a pretty severe C-spine injury in high school. He rehabbed me from that. He rehabbed me from my spiral fracture, my tibia, um, when I was in eighth grade. He He's the guy that truly got me. His name's Rick Hank. He's a Hall of Famer in the state of Wisconsin. Um, he's been influential in me because he's been able to he's been able to, to see that I'm gung-ho about trying to get everything done but he's been able to pull me back and say, Hey, listen, so you gotta, you gotta pick out these points and understand where you're going with them. Um, yeah. Like Darren, like I said, UWM, Dr. Ebersol has been unbelievably huge. I can't, I can't count the amount of times that I've called and said, doc, I'm stuck. I have no idea what to do. Like I'm pretty good at understanding where a conversation or understanding where an injury is going. And I am, I am stuck and have no idea what can you help me with? And just help having him walk me through his thought process and why he would do what he would do um, has truly helped me. And then, uh, you know, all the people in the fire service, the chiefs, um, the, uh, the more experienced personnel that have been there that they do it and they, and they, they show me what it's like to be in that world. So um, my, yeah, my big thing are the people that have been, I've learned April Daniels, for instance, April, <laughs> April, Holly Gerstner, all these people that I've learned from in the past, um, April was somebody that I did like three and a half years of independent study and athletic training. I was the athletic training assistant in, and when I was at Cardinal Stritch university, they didn't have a Katie approved program, but I learned everything I could possibly learn from her, sucked it up like a sponge. And she helped me, um, with through my first couple of really major incidents, a, a cardiac incident at, at Cardinal Stritch and all these different things that I've learned. So, um, the people that you surround yourself with are really the people that can influence what you do for a living and, and how you live your life. And I think that's pretty pretty much where I'm at. Awesome. I think that's been a common theme of people we've talked to. Yep. Rightfully so. Yes. Um, if you could change or eliminate one thing, whether it be modality, common practice, mindset, et cetera, in athletic training, what would it be? <laughs> um, two. One, just because you did it before and it worked doesn't mean it's always going to work again. So keep critically thinking and understand what you're doing. Um, I mean, the amount of times we saw bicep tendonitis, right? And it wasn't always the same thing that, that cured it. And it's not always because the treatment doesn't work. It's because sometimes it's not right for the person, right? So um, don't get stagnant in your ways. Don't get stuck in something that, um, you know, that you're used to doing. And so that mindset that I'm always, I'm, a, I'm an Easton guy. I'm a traditional guy. I'm a mold guy. I'm a whatever guy. I'm an SFMA guy. Taking all those, throw all that out the window and take each case as you, as you see it. Um, so I would, I would throw out that sort of stuck in the mud kind of deal. And the, the other thing, if I was, if you named me, you know, if I ruled the world for seven minutes, which would be terrifying by the way, but if I ruled the world for seven minutes, um, the, the insurance and sort of, um, um, the insurance portion or the, the, um, I don't even know how to say it politically correctly. Um, the, the fact that we don't always get to decide what is best for for everybody because um for instance let's say we know we know what they should be doing we know what rehab they should be at we know they should be with a pt for this amount of time us for this amount of time they should see this doctor but an insurance company gets to tell them no um if i got to rule the world i would i would change that um i know it's never going to change and i understand why it's there but uh i would love to be able to say that yes you have this issue 
and this is how we can fix it. Let's do it versus you have this issue. Let's make sure we call this person and then talk to this insurance person and then make sure that the money is there and then make sure that you have the ability to do it. Um, those would be the two things that would change. Don't get stuck in your ways and, uh, and uh, the insurance piece because, man, that gives you a headache after, after a, a full week of it. All right. Final one for you, big one. What does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Um, obviously, yeah, big one. I said it. I said it in my interview with the fire department with uh, Chief Schwengel and uh, uh, Chief Gerard Washington, who is now retired. Being an athletic trainer isn't isn't just about the injury. It isn't just about rehab. Um, I mean, I'm no in no way the same level of qualification for the mental health and wellness and for the um, for the you know I'm not a clinical social worker like my boss is, but being an athletic trainer is in in a couple where you're the one that always wants to be relied upon. You're the one that always wants to be the person that's there. Um, being an athletic trainer is you put yourself into a position where you might have a couple hundred people on your team. You might have 10 people on your team. In my case, I have 750, you know, sworn on my team plus a hundred that are coming out. Right. Um, but being an athletic trainer means that you are the one that people can rely on. Um, when, when they're at their worst, I, I, I kind of like to tell people every once in a while, personally, because it kind of feels fun. But when you call 911, a firefighter shows up or a paramedic shows up in our world, that's the same thing. Uh, when you call 911, a firefighter shows up. And when a firefighter calls 911, I show up. And, and that's, and that's um, there's something empowering about that. There's something understanding that um, somebody can, I'm not a part of the peer support team. I'm not, I'm not a mental health professional, but having somebody call me and say, you know what? I, I just responded to a child that got into their mom's meth, mom or dad's methadone, and it's killing me. What do I do? And then while you're talking to them, just having a conversation, they maybe bring out something that you know what? This has been killing me. This has been aching. And then while you're taking care of that injury, you're finding the right care for them. Um, so being an athletic trainer is is about giving back. Um, being an athletic trainer, uh, like my the guy that got me into Rick Hankey, if he hadn't taken care of my neck injury. And rehab. I, I wrestled three weeks after my my C spine injury. I was in the hospital overnight, um, having you know all sorts of issues, and and couldn't feel my feet when I was on the mat. And if he hadn't been the one that called the house at you know ten thirty the next morning when I got released from Wausau, if he if he wouldn't have been the one that was there on the side of the mat rehabbing me, teaching me to to not be afraid to go back to doing what I was just doing where I got hurt. Um, it's about giving back. It's about making sure that, um, you have, you have the ability, you have the drive, you have the mental capacity, you have the, you have the love for everybody else to make sure that you're the one that they can rely on and make sure that you, uh, you do that with the most integrity and the, and the, and the best, uh, you know, the, the best work that you can give them. So uh, being an athletic trainer is vastly more than I love. I love sports. Um, I like, I like firefighting. I like what the guys do. Um, it's more about um, making sure that you are the one that people can rely on to take care of a situation when there's a situation that needs to be taken care of. Awesome. Um, I don't think we have any more questions for you, but is there anything else that you want to share before we uh, let you go? All right. I mean, I, I appreciate what you guys do. I love, I love seeing the different, uh, the different people that get, um, athletic training out there. Obviously we got to kind of fend for ourselves sometimes, right? We got to promote what we do. We got to, we got to prove our worth. We got to show that, um, 
you know, you see us running, you see somebody run out on the field to take care of Aaron Rodgers. That's that's not an orthopedic surgeon. That's a, that's an athletic trainer. That's somebody that's there to make sure that their um, that well being is taken care of. So, um, I mean, I appreciate it. Make sure, uh, and, you know, in, a, in the personal thing, make sure that you, uh, when you see the the firefighter, when you see the paramedic, understand that they might be kind of a pain to talk to in a situation. But you got to remember that, you know, my busiest house averages around 20 runs a day. You know, my busiest engine and med, they took 11,500 runs last year out of their house. That's an insane amount of numbers. You don't, you don't know what everybody else is going through. And so if you see that, if you see that, that professional, if you see that person that, um, you know, wears a badge that, you know, is a police officer, is a firefighter, um, know they're, they're just like you and know that they've got the same problems you have, know that they got the same issues you did when you played sports in high school or college or, even if your mom or dad, grandma and grandpa, that's playing golf on the weekends, they've got the same issues that you do and, and uh, thank them because they do a pretty awesome job. And, um, you know, like they say, when everybody else is running away from the flames and the, and the gunfire, those are the guys that are going towards it. And so they need every, they need every bit of support in a, in a simple handshake, a thank you for your service, you know, a hug, uh, you know, stopping by your local firehouse and, and it, as a healthcare professional, not advocating this, but go ahead and give them a bunch of cookies because they love that. Um, and, uh, just making sure that they see that the people that they are serving for a living truly appreciate what they do. And, uh, I appreciate what they do. I'm glad I get to work with them. I'm lucky I get to work with them and hopefully everybody else can kind of show that. Awesome. A couple good points there. Last thing people want to connect with you, want to reach out to you. Where is it best that they reach out? email David. sure yeah i mean send me an email uh cstesh at milwaukee.gov by all means go ahead um i'm i pretend to be technically savvy but i'm not i mean i've got smart lights in my house that i have no idea how to use but they look really cool so i'm going to try and do it um but uh so i'm the only the only social media i'm on is facebook um by all means find me there it's my name um send me a friend request send me a send me a message I'm always happy to talk with, every, uh, like I said, I got off the phone with Maura yesterday from Terre Haute where we just chatted about some different things and how we can make things work. So uh, Milwaukee.gov or you can uh, you can send me a friend request on Facebook and, and I'd love to try and help anybody out I can, especially if you're looking to get into this type of field. I'd love to have you. Well, awesome. Thank you. We appreciate you taking Absolutely. time to talk to us. And we'll have to. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Awesome. Well, next time, make sure you get back down to Milwaukee and let me know when that uh, – when that graduation is, because I'll be the guy that's throwing stuff at you from the middle of the crowd while you're walking across yeah. the stage. <laughs> Someone's yes. got to do it. <laughs> so awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you. Coming. Thank you.